Welcome everyone to our NCAA Social Series, episode number 23. I'm Andy Katz. I'm pleased to be joined by Duke assistant coach Nolan Smith. Uh, Nolan, of course, won a national championship with the Duke Blue Devils back in 2010. Uh, one of the best games that I can remember covering uh, in Indianapolis, uh, beating Butler as Gordon Hayward's shot didn't go down, almost. Um, so that was one of the incredible highs, certainly in your life, in your career. Um, but Nolan, I, I want to have what has been termed, I think, by many people in society, and especially in college athletics and professional athletics right now, is sort of the uncomfortable talk yep. um, with you right now. And, and obviously, this week has been incredibly difficult for everybody. Yep. Uh, the latest name is Jacob Blake, shot seven times in the back in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, fighting for his life, likely paralyzed from the waist down. Um, it just is another name week, month, day after day that we're dealing with this yeah. uh, as a country. Uh, and certainly, regardless of what race you are, everyone should be affected by this. And you, I want to first deal with what you did as taking action yeah. uh, and what you organized on the Duke campus this past week. So first walk me through your raw emotions that you felt when you saw this latest video yeah. And yeah. why did you want to now at least do something in the short term on campus? Yeah, so it really started, I mean, like you said, just a lot of emotions sitting in the house, you know, up here, up here in my man cave, watching the movie. And then I just started texting with the coaches and we were talking about, you know, Jacob Taylor getting shot seven times. And it just really, it hit me right then and there. It's like, like we're really going through this again. Like, and it just can, can continuously happens to black men, black women, where they're getting shot. And it's like, you, you constantly ask yourself those questions. And every day it's like, when we leave the house for me, I mean, I've had guns pulled on me two times by police officers. So it even hits home even more that I could have been a hashtag in my life. So when I see these stories and I hear them, it, it hits home and it hurts. It, hurt, it hurts because like, why did they have to die? Like, even if they were doing something wrong, but why did they have to die? You should not lose your life for doing something wrong. Should you be arrested? Yeah, get arrested. Go to jail, walk it off, whatever you have to do, but they don't have to die. So at that point, and I know our players, I know players all around the country have the same emotions that I feel because they are black. And I was sitting here, so I texted a couple of our players. I said, how are y'all feeling? And they're like, you know, you know, coach, I'm, I'm messed up for real. Like, I'm... It, it sucks to continue to see it. And then you see videos of, of white men doing the same thing. And you're like, well, why didn't they get killed? Not that you want them to get killed, but you're like, well, what? you see the difference. So I'm having these conversations with them. And I say, you know what? Something needs to be done. You know, you, you can't just sit in silence anymore. And for me, I haven't been silent at all. I mean, I've been very active in the Durham community, but on our campus, I feel like it had been quiet, you know? It was, it was talked about and then we got back to work, we started practicing and everybody's back to their jobs. And it's like, it kind of goes to the, to the back burner a little bit, not fully, but it's not talked about as much as it was when we're in the middle of COVID. And that's kind of what Kyrie Irving was said as far as sports being a distraction. So I knew right then and there, I had to do something on our campus that would just really be a conversation. So I hit, I got my phone, I texted Elijah Williams who's a young um, student manager on, on our team. 
and I knew he was connected on campus to a lot of different student groups. He reached out, he said, I, I can probably reach about 800 people, but because of COVID, only about 400 of them are on campus right now. I said, cool, hit them up. I hit up some uh, women's basketball players and some football players that, that I know. I said, y'all hit up every single sport that y'all know and tell them we're on a protest tomorrow um, on campus at 145. Be there, make signs, wear a mask. And I didn't really, I didn't tell anybody. The coaches that I was texting with, they knew. I didn't tell anybody. Um, some of that was just nervousness. I didn't know how they would react to it because of COVID and a lot of the protocols that we have on campus. I didn't know if they were going to shut us down. But, you know, certain things like this, COVID gets put on the second burner. I said, this has to be done. So when I, when I got in, when I got in, coach, we get on Zoom at 9.30, coach said, hey, there's a, a, a protest in Kville. Do y'all know who's organizing it? And I, I kind of grinned. I said, me, coach. He goes, that's awesome. <laughs> he said, that's awesome. What do, you, what do you want me to do? He said, should I speak? Should I just come out there? What do you want me to do? I said, coach, you do whatever you feel in your heart. And he said, well, if I come out there, I'm speaking. <laughs> I said, cool. Then you're speaking then. So at that point, you know, wanting to do the right thing, you know, at that point, once I knew I had coach behind it. So I called Bob Weissman, who runs our facilities. I called him, I said, Bob, look, this is happening <laughs> with or without your permission, but you're my guy. What can we do to make this COVID safe on this campus? It's gonna be about 300 people. His team got to work. They, they put dots outside six feet apart. They set up a stage. They had a microphone with the sound system and they were amazing. They got it done in about an hour. So by the time everyone showed up and it was the first lawn of Kville all the way to the second lawn of Kville, about halfway, um, it ended up being just a beautiful scene with signs. Our AD, Dr. White was out there, Coach Cutcliffe, Carol Lawson spoke. And it, it really just came together because I felt like our student athletes and students needed it. They needed to know that people on this campus understand that you're going through something, that you have a feeling, and you have to let that out. And not many spoke, because after the speakers, I opened it up. I said, do any, does any student athlete have something to say? Come up here to this mic and say it. And if you don't say it today, that's okay, because we're gonna continue to have conversations ongoing. And I also challenge coaches on our campus to have those conversations as well, to make sure that their players' mental is okay during this time, and just to make sure they understand, they are always good. You know, being at a predominantly white school like Duke, as black athletes, I mean, some of our teams, like the lacrosse teams and baseball teams, there's only three or four you know black athletes on those teams. So, so having to open the door to those conversations, they're they're uncomfortable. You know, I mean, like you said, like these conversations are very uncomfortable, but they're needed. So you have to sometimes be uncomfortable to get comfortable. And that's what, that's what this time is for. And what were the action items that you guys uh, try to do uh, on that Thursday afternoon immediately? Talk to our team. Uh, first was talk to our team. And we talked to our guys, got their feelings, um, coached out his feelings to them. And before we went outside, we had a good feel as far as who, which one of them really wanted to say something to the crowd. Um, it's funny that the one who really let out his heart outside didn't address, didn't say anything to us. We had, he had put out a post, Henry Coleman put out a, a message the night before 
but he didn't say he wanted to go up there and say it out loud. So the message for me was just go out there, um, first speak. We had um, coach was going to speak and kind of address, you know, systemic racism um, and how can we combat that. And then he talked about voting. You know, that's the first and biggest step that we all can do right now is vote. That can really These get guys all register. We all registered. That was that was the first action step. Soon as it ended, we went in and got on our laptops and went on whenweallvote.org and got all of our players registered. Yeah, you know, Kara Lawson's speech was incredibly emotional. Yes. Um, you yes. know, discussing growing up as a black woman. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, her players. I just saw on the video they immediately came up behind her. Um, you know, everyone was wearing masks um, yep. except for the speaker. Uh, and, but, you know, everyone was putting them back on. So as, as to your point, there was, you know, it was COVID related, uh, COVID protocols. Uh, what'd you think of the way she, because Kara Lawson, for those that don't know her, I mean, she's an incredible talent in life, coach, analyst. I've worked with her, obviously. Um, yeah. But she's relatively quiet. And that was a different side of Kara Lawson, yeah. just unloading the emotions, tears, and just letting it go. Yeah. which is not a side that I think the general public sees from her. Not much at all. She's normally very cool, calm and collective. Uh, just getting to know her these next, these first three weeks of her being here. Um, you never really see too much emotion out of her. So when I texted her around 1230, you know, I was just kind of like, Hey, I know your team's coming out there. Um, I've asked co head coach K I've asked coach Cutcliffe, talk to him. Um, no pressure from, 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 from my side for any of them to speak, but if you would like to say something, um, let me know. You know, I didn't want to leave out any of the head coaches that I work closely with on campus. And she was just like, yeah, um, let me know. I'll, I'll be out there. So when she went up there and spoke, and at first she, like you said, she couldn't get her words out, you know, and she, you know, got emotional. And then for her team to go up there, it was so authentic and so real. Because um, I didn't know what she was going to talk about. I didn't know what coach was going to talk about. And so when she started talking and just talking about how when she wakes up and she walks out of the door every day as a black woman and started, you know, really getting emotional about that, it hit, it hit home to me because I have those same feelings when I walk out of the door as a black man. But I can't put myself in her shoes, just like she can't put herself in my shoes. But she really just painted a picture that was just like, wow. And for all the people that are out there, white, black, that were listening, like, you have to feel that. <laughs> and if you don't feel that, and that shoe, if that doesn't fit you, then you have to have empathy to that every single day. Not saying that you have to feel sorry for her, because we're not asking for you to feel sorry for us, but it's just asking for understanding as far as when we're going through this and we're saying Black Lives Matter, there's a reason why. It's a daily thing that we go through. Nolan, you mentioned earlier, twice in your life, you've had guns drawn on you. Yep. Um, if you can, take me back to each one of those instances. Yeah. What happened and, and what, were, what were those moments like as you've got a gun pointed at you? Yeah, um, the first one was the scariest one. Um, they were both scary, they are both <laughs> with guns. But the first one, I was in LA and I was with a friend of mine with my sister, we're leaving a, a burger spot right by LAX. How old were you? This was my year I got drafted, so 2011. This was that summer during the lockout. So I was you already won a national championship. Already You're won a high profile player. Already first round draft pick. 
Yep, I was already all of that. I was just out there working out with some people, you know, lockout, just staying busy. And um, so we're leaving the restaurant, we're going to fly back to Durham. So we're leaving the, leaving the burger spot. And I move what I move my luggage from the, the, the lady's car to my sister's car. And as we're going to a stoplight, a cop and the, the lady's driving, she, they, the cop basically rubbed up on the back of her car as the light was turning red and almost pushed her through the light. Cause she was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And she just went. So as soon as he pushed her through the red light, the, he turned his lights on. So I'm just sitting there. I was like, kind of like, well, you should have stopped. <laughs> you should just let him hit you. She was, she was like, I didn't want to hit him. You hit in the back right now. That's my car. I'm like, yeah, I understand. So I, I'm just sitting there. He pulls over. I'm thinking it's a normal traffic stop. So I'm just sitting there on my phone, um, texting my sister, like, hey, we'll be right behind you. Got pulled over. Um, so as I'm sitting there, I'm li- not paying attention at all. And a cop comes up on the right side of the car. And as I'm sitting there, boom, and I drop my phone. And I drop my phone. As I bend down to pick up my phone, I hear, get your hands up, get your hands up. And I, and I was like, this is when I start shaking and they open the door and they get, at this point, the guns are already drawn. They're already drawn. So something was going on. So he pulls me out, guns up. So all I'm thinking, like, I'm in the middle of this busy highway. Like, he's about to shoot me. Um, so he's backing me up to the back of the car. He's like, don't move. So I just keep my hands up, keep my hands up. And during this, he's calling me boy. He's like, boy, if you move, I'll shoot you. Boy, this, boy, that. So he's calling me boy. So I'm getting, I'm getting angry because he's calling me boy. So I'm like, like, I know what that word cop means. White? Huh? Was the cop white? He, he was. Okay. He was. So kind of, he, they kind of calmed down. Because obviously I'm listening to him. I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I was like, I can give you my ID. So they asked me for my ID. And something in my head said, give them my Duke alumni card. Because it was actually right on top. So I give them both just out of instinct. So I'm like, here, take both. And something in my head said, you know, this is my, this is my white card. <laughs> this is my, this is my get out of here card. So he comes back and he goes, you went to Duke, sir. And he starts calling me, sir. The whole conversation changed. Then they started asking me. You're no longer boy, but because of Duke, you were sir. I went to sir. And so then they stopped my sister up in front. They checked the bags of the cars. So basically what they told me, they thought they saw a drug transaction of moving bags to a car. So that's why they stopped us. And they gave him a license back. I got his badge number. Obviously I filed a complaint. Um, not really sure where it went from there. Um, honestly, I'm just glad I made it out of there alive. So that's the first one that I could have. Stop there for a minute, Nolan. Yep. You're on your way to the airport. You're about to get on a plane, correct, to fly to Durham? Yes. How do you then just get on the plane, sit down, and not be still shaking to some degree that less than an hour earlier, essentially, give or take, there's a gun in your face or close to it. Yep. And now you're supposed to just go ahead and get on the plane and Fly back east. Yep. Yep. It was it was tough. I mean, like you said, it was definitely still shaking, still mad, still furious at what just happened. But thankfully I was with my sister, so she was able to just calm me down and we we talked about it the whole five hour flight back east. 
Um, normally I sleep on planes. I couldn't even sleep. Got home. We never, we never, I never told my mom this story until maybe two years after, you know, cause I just, some things you just keep from your mom just so she doesn't have to just feel that pain. Cause even though nothing happens, she just have that pain and fear in her heart. She would freak out every time I leave the house, you know, but then when I ended up now she, now she does, you know, she's still worried about me. I'm 32 years old and she worries about me. I'm going to make it home um, just off a simple traffic stop. So it was hard. All right. So now, I mean, that's one time, one more time than anyone should experience. Yep. What was the second one? The second time happened right here in Durham, North Carolina. Um, my own backyard, place where I played. Um, leave when was, huh? When was this? This one was in 2016. I was down here. This right after I tore my ACL the first time, and it was that K Academy. So it was 16. And I was with Gerald Henderson leaving a K Academy event. So we're leaving the event. We're actually headed to Coach John Shire's house. Um, to hang out over there with Brian Zubek and the whole crew. Lance Thomas was in town. We're heading over there to hang out. And um, at this point, I'm driving uh, my Tahoe that I had while I was in the NBA. Um, it had dark tint, 24-inch uh, rims, and apparently it fit the profile. Um, <laughs> of By the way, a car that you earned. Car that I earned, absolutely. Um, okay. It fit the profile of a drug dealer's car. That's ultimately what they end up telling us. So... We're driving from across Cameron on Maureen, pull off campus, go over the light, go down the hill, and Gerald and I both see a cop on the right, go a little further, see a cop on the left. So immediately, right away, we, we felt like that was weird. So we rolled the windows down. Uh, NBA protocol for any NBA player that has tent, which all NBA players have tent on their cars. So they tell you, if you ever get stopped, roll your windows down so that the cops can see in the car. Let them know that you're, you're not harmless. there to harm them and you're harmless. So we do that. We cut the lights, overhead lights on in the car as they cut their lights on to pull us over. So, By the way, I gotta, I'm sorry, no. No, you're NBA good. protocol, who's telling you that? Is that NBA security or is that player to player in terms of, hey, let me just tell you how it goes. This is what you should do. Who, who is advising NBA players to do that? NBA security. Okay. NBA security. So our, our, our team security guy's name was Tuck. He took great care of us. And at the beginning of the season, we have a meeting. And they go through different protocols of what do you do when you get stopped, if you have issues, who do you call, they give you normally a sheriff's number for any issues like that. So um, it was very helpful, but obviously in this case, it didn't, it didn't work. <laughs> so the windows are down, then what happens? So we're on a two-lane road. So obviously I go real slow, trying to find a safe place to pull over. And obviously this is after the first time I already had guns pulled. So I'm looking for a well-lit area before I come to a stop so they can really see in the car. So I go maybe another, let's probably say 800 feet, pull into a, a veterinarian uh, spot. Their lights were on, bright lights, uh, and, and we come to a stop. Immediately they come out on both sides of the car with their guns drawn on me. And then as I'm sitting here, they're just saying, get your hands up, get your hands up. So I get mine up on the steering wheel and I look to, on my right to Gerald and I had to tell him, I said, gee, don't move. Cause I, he didn't see the cop on his back and the cop actually had his gun inside the car on his back. Like not touching his back, but inside the back window. And so he looked and so he was like, oh. So we got still, we obviously were very polite with them. We're like, yes, sir, we're coming from Duke. They asking us questions. 
What were the races of the police officers? White. Two, two, two white cops on both sides. Um, during this time, more, more cars pulled, pulled up behind us. So it was about five cars at this point. They're asking us questions. We're telling who we are, telling where we play. They're asking, Gerald, what do you do? He's somehow are playing. So none of the police officers recognized you guys? Nope. Nope. Until, so until they, until they finished their questions. Um, you know, and during, during this whole story, I'm just like, when it's all said and done, Gerald and I are like, why didn't they just run the plates? <laughs> if they ran the plates, they would have saw that the car was registered in my name, then they might have saw that there was nothing to worry about, no warrants, no past history, whatever, on their little computers that they all have in their cars. But they obviously chose not to do that on this night. Um, but we made it out of there, obviously. And uh, the, at the end, they ended up asking Gerald for his autograph. One was a Charlotte Hornets fan. And asked him for his autograph, and obviously we said no. <laughs> we said no, not tonight. Maybe another day, but not tonight. What was the reaction when you told Coach K those stories? Uh, Coach only knows of the one in Durham. Um, well, I, I, I shared the one with him on a brotherhood call that we've had during this time. Um, I shared it with you know, all the players and our. The one in Durham or the one in LA? I shared I shared the one in Durham, uh, the one in LA. He knew about the one in Durham because I tweeted about it um, that night. And then the next day he talked to us face to face and he was just like visibly upset. And the best part, the best part of the story for me is that week I'm in the gym working out and he does a lot of stuff with the Durham Sheriff and Durham police. So they actually came in that week and he said to the sheriff and all the other cops, he said, if you see my players, you leave my players alone. <laughs> and literally with a straight face, and they were all just kind of like, <laughs> like he he definitely took it to heart and took it personal that it happened to somebody that he he truly cares about. So what's it like being black on Duke's campus? Uh, it's great. I mean, I definitely had no issues. You know, I had no issues when I was there. Um but I've obviously heard stories from other people that, you know, they don't have that same experience. You know, there's campus police and I've had some campus police racial profiles, some, some people that I've known because they might've been walking to the library late at night with a hood on. They're like, hey, let me see your campus ID. So they assume that they don't go there <laughs> based on the fact that they're black and it's a predominantly white school. So just hearing stories like that, I'm like, Honestly, I know I'm fortunate because I played basketball. So as a basketball player on campus, I'm going to be loved by everybody. They're going to know my face. They're going to they're gonna take care of me. The love is, is real when it comes to me on campus. Um, but overall, camp, campus life is, is different, you know, and, and there's the AD and the coaches on campus. You know, it's great. It's great people there. They all have a great feel for the athletes. You know, but just the, you know, overall dynamic that you are the minority there can make it different. You know, everything that you've said, and, and it's just so tragic, but it's so true, is that when, when you are off the court and those adoring Cameron crazies or in the NBA, you know, they see your name, they see you in that jersey. But as you just told us, you know, in regular daily life, 
you're still a black man in America. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you played, how many points you scored, um, how, you know, just how scary is that knowing that as great a career as you can have, it still boils down for some people, obviously, mm -hmm. not the majority, but for some, it still boils down to the color of your skin. Yeah, no, it's 100% it's scary, 100% scary. And, you know, it's happened to me, it's happened to Thabo Cephalusha um, in New York. Um, what's the player from the Milwaukee Bucks, um, drawing a blank on his name? Well, Sterling Brown. Sterling Brown, like it happens. So when you take that jersey off and that, or when that ball stops bouncing and you might not have that fame or whatever, but at the end of the day, you put on some regular clothes and you go to that 7-Eleven or gas station late at night, understand that we are just a black man. <laughs> and we might fit the description on any night. And you might run into some cops, the, the not good ones, on any given night. And it might escalate, unfortunately. And that's, that's the scary part that I think as black men, black women that we deal with every single day. So Nolan, I just want to turn here to what's next. Yep. Um, we saw the action that the NBA, the WNBA took. Obviously, uh, other sports did as well. Um, you know, tennis players, Naomi Osaka, uh, MLS, not everyone in Major League Baseball, some, some in the NHL. But college basketball, college athletics, what do you anticipate happening next here as we hopefully get to competition later in the fall into the winter um, in terms of actionable items, uh, whether it's on the floor, jerseys, statements made, things to keep this going, yep. you know, a focal point, and hopefully there won't be, you know, other, other videos for, for us to see, but yeah, just yeah. still to, to affect change. Yeah, no, I definitely, you know, for me, I think it's, um, the head coaches will have a huge responsibility of using their voices and their platforms um, at all ACC schools, Big East, Big Big 12, all of them are gonna have a responsibility to speak out. Um, I touched on a little bit yesterday, you know, at the, at, at the protest that, you know, even though we're back to X's and O's and defensive game plans, we have to keep our minds also on the bigger picture of equality and, and, and defeating systemic racism. And understand, and then also continue to empower our student athletes to have a voice. Um, and student athletes should absolutely use their platforms after a game um, to speak on whatever it is they want to speak on. You know, and until you know across the board, across the landscape of college sports, um, when it comes to jobs and equal opportunities for all people, you know, I think this should continue. And I think um, Kyle Perry has done a great job um, with the McClendon um, minority program that uh, him and uh, Tommy Amaker, um, coaches involved in as well. What they've started is a great thing. It's a great start to just open open the doors to, to black people and get, get them there. Um, but the people right now in places of power is no secret that they're white people. Um, and if they use their voices and use their places of power for, for the greater good, and to help all people, that's that's where the real change is going to come. And until then, it's just definitely going to just keep our foot on the gas and using our voices um, until the change comes. Yeah, I mean the systemic racism 
racism permeates all forms of society. Uh, it's not obviously just the violence that we see on video. It is, as you said, it's getting opportunities. It's not being profiled when you're going to buy your house in a, in a nice suburban community, when you're going to buy that car, when you're just driving down the street uh, and you, know, you get profiled. Yep. So there's so many layers, and Coach K, I know, talked about that on Thursday, and, uh, and so did you as well. Nolan, I, I deeply appreciate this. Uh, this is an ongoing conversation that we all must have, black, white, brown, doesn't matter, to hopefully correct hundreds of years of wrongs in this country, on this globe, and it can start by doing the little things like you did on campus on Thursday. Uh, Nolan, I appreciate it. Stay safe in this crazy, chaotic world during COVID uh, and everything else. I know we'll talk soon. And for everyone out there as well, you can always check out all our, all our episodes archived at ncaa.org slash social series. Over the last, what, five months during this pandemic, every episode is archived. You can check those all out. Nolan, I appreciate it as always. For everyone behind the scenes, I'm Andy Katz. We thank you. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you.